I remember Amphipolis, the doomed colony already on its second life. When the Thracians massacred those 10,000 souls, we should have known to leave it alone. But 29 years later, Athens returned to claim Amphipolis, like a syphilis patient returning to the prostitute who gave it to them, returning to the city of my demise. The city of your making, the city the Spartans captured. They won the battle, but you won the future. All I want is the past. All I want is Amphipolis, seven ships by the morning light, and Brasidas's grave under my feet. You forget the battle killed him, did it? I'm beginning to wonder. Maybe it's my corpse rotting beneath the tomb that bears his name, and his blood now that courses through my veins. He had heard word of my defeat before his own demise. You're delirious. No, maybe it's the point of Brasidas's spear sharpening my insights, the force of his voice echoing through my speeches, the vitality of his spirit animating my words upon the roll. This is madness. You alone are the author of these eight books. You alone are the author of the Peloponnesian War. That battle killed me too. It did not. I was cast away. Exile was the greatest thing Athens ever gave you. Perhaps it's better to die with honor than live with disgrace. Perhaps it is. But yours is the greater honor. Is it? Undoubtedly. But I was blamed for the fall of Amphipolis. Someone had to be. We share the same opinion on the democratic method. You wrote that you could not reach it in time. You wrote that you saved the port of Eon. I wrote many things. Not enough. Where are you? You're 21. Six more to go, Thucydides. I'll get there. You're growing old. It's hardly my worst crime. No, that would be this sudden rush of self-indictment. It's beneath you. And even if it wasn't, it's a waste of time. A resource you are rapidly depleting. I remember the Strymon River, the plain and the mountain high. The city walls that I betrayed, half a day's sail away. My home in a world of shame, separated by half a day. I too remember Amphipolis. Half a day from the gold hiding in the hills, the trees longing for the sea. It was a shithole. It was a beginning. Yes, the beginning of our greatness, which had to be born of military failure. Whose greatness, did you say? Ours. Mine. And who are we? Who are you? I am you. (sighs) So where did we leave off? Tissaphernes. Accordingly, he went first to Ephesus and offered sacrifice to Artemis. Ah, yes. I remember Tissaphernes. My name is Kasia, and these are stories of people I can't forget.
first introduction to Thucydides would have been in an introductory international relations course. International relations, if you don't know, is the baleful pursuit of future spooks, Brookings Institute fellows, and climate change treaty negotiators. Thucydides authored an eight-book account of the Peloponnesian War. We call this work a history, but he never used the word. More importantly, though, Thucydides authored the notion of that war as a single entity, snowballing several conflicts divided by an ill-starred peace treaty into one 27-year marathon of bloodshed. Thucydides participated in some of the events of this one war firsthand. He was elected a strategos in 424 BC and put in charge of an Athenian fleet based in Thassos. But because of his failure to prevent the fall of Amphipolis to the Spartan general Brasidas, he was recalled to Athens and sentenced to exile. This banishment afforded him with ample time to compose his history, as well as, he said, the ability to mix with his former adversaries, giving him broader insight into the conflict. Had Thucydides been a success in his own age, he may never have made his name. Preempting Finnegan's wake by over 2,300 years, his history ends in the middle of a sentence, the sentence you heard right before the theme music to this episode. Accordingly, he went first to Ephesus and offered sacrifice to Artemis. This was probably not a literary choice. It is presumed that Thucydides died before he could complete his work. Are you hearing this woman? Unfortunately, she thinks I'm dead. Blindness. I'll be talked about at the end of 3,000 years. I know. You're more alive than ever. Of this unfinished but nevertheless expansive work of history, literature, military strategy, however else you want to classify it, there is one particular extract that has been looted and placed upon a pedestal by the so-called discipline of political science. That is the Melian Dialogue. Had I known that my life's work would have become a set text, and that I'd be trotted out by Foreign Policy magazine every eight weeks for another boilerplate article about U.S.-China relations. I would have... I would have... About ten years ago, I was assigned an essay asking me to... You would have succumbed to the plague of Athens. I would have succumbed to the plague of Athens. Analyze the Melian dialogue from a realist paradigm. Here is what I wrote. The Melian dialogue from Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War, is heralded as a fundamental text of the realist tradition. The hypothetical conversation written in 5th century BC and taking place between Athenian envoys and Melian commissioners showcases the contrasting arguments of realists and idealists. The Athenians, seeking to expand their empire and intimidate Sparta, demand that the Melians submit to their rule or else be sieged. The Melians, wishing to remain neutral, attempt to appeal to the Athenian sense of what is right and just. In the dialogue, Athenians make their case to the Melians operating under a realist paradigm, while the Melians rely on a more idealistic one with a higher and broader regard for ethics and morality. This is repetitive. You already said that, woman! She needs an editor. In the end, however, the Melian cries of idealism are silenced as Athenian forces repopulate the island of Melos with their own people, after having executed the men and enslaved the women and children. Thucydides' tacit realism is highly comparable to Hans Morgenthau's 20th century classical realism. Who is Hans Morgenthau? A minor thinker of the 20th century, apparently. 
A thinker, huh? I was using the word in quotes. As such, the following argument will make use of five of Morgenthau's six principles of realism as a framework to parse the Athenian's realist argument for Melian submission. This argument will also discuss the Melian idealist paradigm insofar as it contrasts to the Athenian realist one. This isn't over yet? I'm afraid it's only the beginning. Someone stop her. Please! This woman must be stopped. In Morgenthau's Politics Among Nations, he states that political realism believes that politics, like society in general, is governed by objective laws that have their roots in human nature. This constitutes Morgenthau's first principle of realism, under which he implies that states are rational actors and act in ways that best serve the interests of the state. Therefore, in a situation when security is threatened, assuming that statesmen are acting in a rational manner, states will act similarly, regardless of domestic politics or regime type. I mean, he's not wrong. No. Perhaps we judged Hans too quickly. But he did steal from me. That he did. Perhaps we did not judge Hans too quickly. Perhaps we judged him at the perfect instant. This principle also contends that it is possible to formulate a scientific theory to explain outcomes in the anarchic international system. Thucydides' depiction of the Athenian argument mirrors Morgenthau's first realist principle. The Melians seek to explain their irrational behavior to remain neutral in light of this security threat. We trust that the gods may grant us fortune as good as yours, since we are just men fighting against unjust. Finally, some good writing? We sound wonderful, even in English. The Athenians counter the Melian claim by saying, Of gods we believe, and of men we know, that by a necessary law of their nature they rule wherever they can. And it is not as if we were the first to make this law, or to act upon it when made. We found it existing before us, and shall leave it to exist forever after us, all we do is make use of it, knowing that you and everybody else, having the same power as we have, would do the same as we do. I must admit, I am fond of that passage. The prose sings! Indeed. Again! Read it again! Morgenthau's wording of his first principle imitates the language of the Athenian argument. Both speak of the rational laws that are inextricably grounded in human nature. Here, the Athenians speak plainly and bluntly of their militant intentions. Their sense of justice, which the Emelians try to appeal to, holds no ground in reality when the Athenians clearly have the motive and the ability to defeat the Melians. In the minds of the Athenians, their behavior, while perhaps unjust, is simply the rational response to their immediate international environment, given their great land and military power. What do you think of this analysis? I am scandalized by what passes for scholarship these days. Morgenthau's second principle of political realism States that the Pardon me, the I'm not really sure how you guys got here, but I must politely ask that you stop interrupting my podcast. Your podcast? I thought this was my internal monologue. No, this is episode 9 of Have We Met Before, and it's about the Greek historian Thucydides. So, we are Thucydides, but we're not Greek. We're Hellens. My apologies. I had forgotten the distinction. Oh, apology accepted. Thank you so much for featuring us on your program. Did you get my press release? <laughs> and what's a podcast, by the way? I don't know what it is, but I'm ashamed to be a part of it. Oh, you're ashamed of everything. Please, ignore my friend here, he's the grumpy one. So, when do we get hair and makeup? Uh, so this is a scripted show, audio only, and I don't do guests or anything like that. 
Can I just ask, what are you getting at with this lengthy digression into a college essay? Well, what were you getting at with that lengthy digression into the Sicilian expedition? Fair question. I was demonstrating how the Athenians' will to power was at a turning point. Uh, so I'm gonna grab some lunch while you two figure this thing out. Could you recommend a place with a good Tom Kagai? Well, I was demonstrating, while offering my past self up as a case study, how the foreign policy industrial complex has flattened a rich, complex, and genre-spanning text into a handful of pro-imperial soundbites. Okay, I respect that aim. Half my motive was to repudiate Herodotus. And what was the other half? I found Azorba's Diner on Yelp. Reviews look pretty good. I'm gonna head out. Just text me if you want anything, okay? Okay? Redemption. I imagine you're familiar with what transpired at Amphipolis. Of course. But did you feel you needed to be redeemed in your own estimation or in that of your community? Neither. I knew both were not possible, and so my only recourse was eternity. And do you consider yourself successful? To a degree. But legacy is not a one-man job, which brings me back to you. I want to fast forward to your conclusion. Do you have a hard copy? Uh, I can get one for you. No, not a second to waste. Just read it aloud. Okay. <clears throat> This is the final paragraph. Ultimately, the idealistic naivete displayed by the Melians throughout Thucydides' dialogue is shuddered by their downfall. The realist paradigm assumed by the Athenians carries the day. However, by the end of the Peloponnesian War, Athens has lost, and the Greek world is irrevocably weakened. Louder! The course of history proves the argumentation of both Melians and the Athenians to be flawed. Louder! That was louder. Louder still! They need to hear you for all time. While a justification for realism can be extrapolated from the history's text, Thucydides does not write the Melian dialogue as a how-to guide for ideal state behavior. Exactly. I am no self-help columnist. The ruthless realism of the Athenians proved to be irrational in the long term. The Athenians' unchecked hunger for power and excessive hubris following their conquest of Milos led them to overestimate the strength of their empire as they unwisely attacked Sicily and were a force to escape in defeat. Say it with a little more pride. I worked too hard and too long for you to not speak of me with a little more pride. The constant acquisition of power, when devoid of all moderation and morality, breeds a reckless desire for more power. Nevertheless, Thucydides' realist outlook is not as bleak as the one exhibited by the Athenians, but also not as guileless as the Melian idealism. In the end... There is a tragic irony to the Melian dialogue in that both sides' extreme political frameworks led to self-destruction. before. Join me again in two weeks for no illegal activity whatsoever. Theme music composed by John Hookstra. 